You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole, and I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing. Uh, with me, as she is pretty much every single week here, is the one and only Christine Morris. How are you, Christine? Hello, here and ready to talk about some more action awesomeness. Yes, yes. What about you? I, well, I don't know if you noticed, but... um. I'm not wearing a shirt tonight. I'm a lot more buff than I was in the previous episode. So I've really been working out for this role. <laughs> yeah, you got your tan, you greased up a little bit, put a bandana around your forehead. Yeah, well, it was to hold back the massive mullet that I've got, you know, so, it, I mean, I, I can't believe I was able to grow it in one week, but it happened. So, and with us, uh, <laughs> back to talk about Rambo 3 uh, is the one and only John Mills. And well, yes. he doesn't have to worry about growing hair. No, no, I, he really, you went right there. <laughs> uh, I would, and the thing is that pairs nicely though, because I was, uh, I was just about to say, if you, uh, go on a mission for the CIA and you get captured, I'll send you a note or something, but, you know, I'm not really. I'm not really disposed to going behind enemy lines too often. So, yeah, you know, I, I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting. Cave. He's willing to share his you know. office for me to sleep in, but go on a rescue mission. That that that's just too far. Well, mm-hmm. who's going to take care of the office it's when so I'm true. gone? I mean, so seriously, true. you got to protect the Star Trek Five poster. So. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh, and the solo man. collectibles. <laughs> well, we. We're already having fun before we started recording, and we're going to continue to have fun because this week we are continuing the Rambo series as we're talking about Rambo 3. Before we get there, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's listening. We've have been having record months here at 602 Club, and we just appreciate everybody checking us out, listening, supporting us. You can find us on Twitter, at TrekFM, which before we go any further, Christy, we're going to announce our contest winner for our following contest there. And uh, I put together this, it was ridiculously complicated to try and figure out how to calculate everybody's name and everything, So, but was able to draw a winner, and the one and only Rich Brockwell is our winner. So Rich, if you're listening, get in touch with us. You can DM me or uh, the show account at trek.fm at the 602 Club, and uh, we will get your address, and I will send that copy of Batman v Superman ultimate edition remastered out for you um at the address of your choice so just again it is rich brockwell who's our winner so thank you for following us on twitter continue to follow us on twitter everybody if you're not make sure you are because we do fun stuff uh you can also find us on instagram at the 602 club tfm you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. We've got the listeners learning discussion group you can join called the Babel Conference there on Facebook. Trek.fm uh, is the website that you can check out. 
And of course, uh, you could find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, Patreon's really important to the network because one, we've got some great associate producers here through Patreon. Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah. One, I got to meet Davis Grayson finally, and he was a delight while I was in Florida visiting John Mills. It was so much fun. So I really appreciate these gentlemen though, because they've Mm -hmm. been supporting the network for a very long time and making sure that everything we do here at Trek FM keeps coming to you each and every week. And in fact, Trek FM uh, is a place where we are doing as much as we possibly can. We're going to be reorganizing some of the network and the exclusives are about to get even better for Patreon supporters. So again, go to patreon.com slash Trek FM and see how you can become part of the team. So guys, uh, this is an interesting film. Uh, one of the things that I didn't know about this film is there's a lot of things that went on behind the scenes with this movie. And, uh, John, we've talked behind the scenes, Christy, we've talked behind the scenes about, you know, a lot of the franchises that we love where you have directors who get replaced. And Mm -hmm. I did not realize that a few weeks into the film, uh, they have to switch directors because uh, Stallone was like, look, you, you can't be winging this in a movie this size. You got to know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently the director here didn't really have all of his ducks in a row. Well, what's interesting is the the original director, and I've heard his last name pronounced two different ways. I've always called him Russell Russell Mulcahy. But I heard Billy Joel refer to him as Russell Mulcahy at one point. So I don't know. I'm going to go with Mulcahy because that's how I've always known. Were they friends, him and Billy Joel? Was that the thing or? Uh, No, no. uh, Mulcahy directed the River of Dreams video. Oh, really? Oh, wow. That's the connection there. Mm. Yeah. It's a good video. Uh, But Mulcahy, I'm not. Let's put it this way. I'm kind of surprised that Stallone didn't do his homework because Mulcahy sort of has lightning strike with Highlander and his, you know, his, his, uh, his filmography outside of that isn't the strongest in the world. And so this is a noticeable step up in terms of prestige and budget and everything like that. But Highlander really is lightning in a bottle. That was, it just came across at the perfect time. It was mm-hmm. just, it captured, you know, just the, uh, the, the, the spirit of the time, uh, to, you know, really win everybody over the Queen soundtrack, all of that stuff. So I'm kind of surprised he got the job to begin with is the thing, considering how involved Stallone always is. And, um, as for, for Peter McDonald, the guy who got, uh, promoted to take his place. It's really interesting because uh, he was a second unit director. He had done stunt. He had filmed the like action sequences over on first blood part two. So it kind of makes sense that he would get elevated. But I think to your point, it's interesting because we're used to now the idea that you fire the director, pause production, bring somebody else in three weeks later and, you know, like Joss Whedon guts your vision or uh, Ron Howard reshoots the whole movie, you mm-hmm. know, that that sort of thing. Yeah, I agree with you, John. I, I'm really surprised that Stallone didn't seem to have prepare ahead of time by hiring somebody with more experience of what he was looking for than going with Mulcahy in the first place, who, you know, hadn't really done a lot of huge things yet. Um 
right? And isn't really known for that. So, and then you know, McDonald. I, 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 I be honest, I had never heard of most of these people before this movie. So, right. I'm kind of surprised too that he still then says you can't wing it, and then goes with McDonald too. You know, I, I think probably it has a lot to do with the fact that I'm willing to bet that there's some ghost direction that goes on here, mm-hmm. uh, because I know that Cosmatos, who directed Rambo: First Blood Part Two, was a director who Stallone felt he could exert a fair amount of influence over. It's why he also brought him in to direct Cobra, okay, which is not as good as Rambo: First Blood Part Two, but it that's why Cosmatos was recommended to Kurt Russell when the original director for tombstone was fired was Russell was looking for somebody who could be quote unquote steered properly. And that's why Cosmatos got that job. So I'm willing to bet that McDonald it's probably along the lines of, Hey, I'll promote you, but I'm not going to leave you high and dry. I'll help you direct because I'm the executive producer and writer and all of that sort of thing. Well, mm-hmm. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit, you know, the fact that he was a second unit director, uh, you know, when you're when you're a second unit director, you have to be really on top of things because you're directing a lot of the major action sequences outside of when the star is there. So that that's a quite a bit of work, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of when a Bond promoted John Glenn to director mm-hmm. because he had been the second unit director as well, right? You know, he had been the one who had been doing a lot of the the stuff. He had worked on so many Bond films at that point. So, you know, I. It it probably does have to do with the fact that, you know, Stallone can kind of work in tandem with him as a director here at this point. But at the same time, mm-hmm. the guy probably knows how to keep a schedule, to make a schedule, to make sure everything's right. running on sure. time, which is that that's really, you know, um, in the quote, Stallone says something about, you know, you don't go to Battle of Waterloo not knowing what the strategy would be, you know. And, and so that's what he was looking for in the director that. Okay, he wasn't giving them, um, you know, and, and with a production that size, you have to be on schedule, especially with, you know, the the strenuous work you're going to be doing in the desert, too. I mean, because, you know, mm-hmm. they're filming some in Israel, they're filming some in uh, Thailand, they're filming uh, in Arizona. So, I mean, like, these aren't enjoyable places necessarily to film, especially in Arizona. So you don't want to be wasting time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was right. going to say. You're get setting in, get up out. shots. Yeah. And so I just thought that was really interesting. But to your point, for both of you, you know, this is another. But Stallone helps write the story here again with uh, David Morrell, who did the the book. Um, mm. Morrell Morrell did the novelization. I don't think he had a hand in the story though. Oh, okay. This was another one where gotcha. this is another one where it was handed over to him. He gets the the credit like the way Lucas, you know, based on characters created right, by right. George Lucas, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it's yeah, uh, it, him it was, and Sheldon uh, Lettich. Yeah, but there was a, there was somebody else who wrote a first draft of the script that uh, Stallone rejected and then had the rewrite. And but the thing is with the novelization, once again. Morell comes back and he used elements from the first draft of the script mm. to play into it. And I can tell you <laughs> that this is a very different and more enjoyable movie if they had done even half of the stuff that they had in there. So, yeah, I would mm. love to pick your brain just a little bit, you know, for the podcast and myself, because so what are some of the main differences that you would have loved to have seen from the book that just don't make it into the film? 
Well, the ending for one is a lot more believable and interesting. So you're not uh, because facing it's a, down it's a, against an entire army with no, just two guys? Geez, no. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, uh, although I have thoughts about that. We'll get to that, I'm sure. But, like, uh, it's a big chase that's going on. Because the thing is, through the course of the book, it treats, it doesn't treat Afghanistan as a unified country sort of thing. The whole point that it hammers throughout the whole book is that it's not really a country the way that we would think of it. It's a thousand different tribes that are fighting all the time sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And for instance, the the game that he plays in the movie is there in the book. But in the book, he is involved in the game specifically to try to win the trust and respect of the people that are around him who don't trust or respect him. Mm-hmm. And it's the main chief who wants nothing to do with him and doesn't trust him who he wins over in, in that, in that fight, not fight, but game. Uh, there is a much more tragic elimination of a, of a village that happens prior to that. They sort of collapse it in the movie. And there is a whole character, uh, a, uh, a female uh physician who's there helping the refugees and the russian defector who is in what like a scene in this he when they go in to break troutman out he's with them the whole time because they use him once they get in he's still in his uniform because there's this big thing where the russians are coming to finish the job that they started with the village and they trap them in one of the uh, the ravines, and that's where Rambo sets up all of his detonators and coordinates with um, with the other guys to say, okay, you know, he- here's one through nine. You've got ten through sixteen. You blow yours at this time. I'll blow mine at the. And so there's a whole thing, and that's where they capture the Russian guy who says, I I don't even want to be here. I'll help you get your guy if you help me get out of here. Uh, there's this political intrigue in the uh, in the Russian camp itself, where the the commander is still this big blowhard type, but he has like a right hand man who hates him, who thinks he's a monster. But what's he gonna do about it? And there's actually a moment in the book where Rambo is getting out of the uh, the the Russian camp, and the guy has him dead to rights, and he has him in his sights with his gun. And he looks at him and he's like, no, I, I'm not going to, why, why would I do this sort of thing? And, uh, you know, I, so it, it's just, it's such a layered story, such an interesting story. I, the book, if, if the book had been the movie, it's, it is a stone cold five-star classic. So what you're saying like, is that the movie, hands down, this the book been, has a ton of nuance that the movie never had. Yeah. And there's a lot of history about the thing that's really, really depressing in a very large way is Morell really did his research on Afghanistan. And you look, you read the book. And one of the notes I wrote to myself was this book should have been basically required reading for the United States military before, you know, we, we went and did our thing in, uh, mm-hmm. you know, 2001 where it was like, if they'd read this book, they'd have said, Oh, well, now that's interesting, but it, it really seems like it's something that was known but forgotten for political purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's really interesting, too, because it very much gets into people also 
tend to have an image of a uh, homogeneity to the tribes and the tribal leaders in Afghanistan when, you know, where they equate like the Mujahideen with the Taliban. And it's like, no, this is, that's a different sort of thing um, that that's going on there. And it's a lot more complicated. So, and I know I'm rambling now, but like, I mean, imagine, right. This is what I'm getting from a novelization where Morell didn't have to write it, but, um, and he actually says in the introduction to the new edition where he says this was sort of like the last hurrah novelization started dying out specifically because movies were getting released closer and closer to their theatrical run. Mm -hmm. So there was kind of no point to it after a certain point. You released novelizations because the home video market hadn't blown up. Right. And it was a way for people to relive the movie in different ways. But in the home video market by this point, you know, this is this is sort of the last hurrah Mm -hmm. period. You know, you bring up something that's so interesting, too, because of uh, like I just think about this in the timing of this film, you know, um, and you you mentioned the, the political ramifications of the movie. Um, it's interesting that the year before this, we get the living daylights, which also deals with, you know, the Afghanistan situation with Russia. And um, it is really fascinating because. This movie, to me. In its timing, even now, it seemed to be saying how there's so much going on in the world that we don't hear about, and mm-hmm. that happens because there's somebody who has an interest in covering it up and us not hearing about the story, right? Um, mm-hmm. And this this movie, as I would say... Um, baseline as it is with the politics it still has i think a a very interesting point to make about the things that we don't hear about that we should hear about but that get covered up i i actually have a question uh for both of you my sense especially on this rewatch is it almost seems as if maybe the they should have taken more of a pause between directors because it's almost as if the first half of this movie is detached from the second half. Once it gets to the camp where he's going in to break out Troutman, it simplifies itself greatly. And I think maybe a little too much because I think the first half of this movie is, while not as complex as the book, is getting there, is laying out some interesting points. I mean, Christy, do you... Like, do you sense any of that disconnection? Like, am I just imagining it because I want to? Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because I felt the same way. I think that there is kind of a a definitive point in the movie where it transitions to being more outlandish and less seeming to be focused on that original story point. Um, I really liked the direction they were going, especially since you mentioned that it's more explored in the novel um, where the guy that's guiding Rambo through Afghanistan is talking about how they do things. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. he's saying these things that like you're saying that I I wish that people had known um, then later and, you know, the history of the war in Afghanistan of like, it's a totally different animal than the way we think of a country. And that especially for the people that have lived there their entire lives, they know these things like their ways around caves and Mm -hmm. that, you know, they're have their own ways of communicating with each other, even through a desert across vast expanses of space. Um, 
and that there's all of these nuances that outsiders wouldn't know. And that that's why you mm-hmm. need a guide who's from Afghanistan, because otherwise you're just not going to be able to fully get it. And I liked right. that direction that the movie was going. And then it, it did seem to definitely change once he got there to rescue Troutman. Well, and on top of that, you know, when you think about that, this movie is supposed to, it's supposed to be three years after Vietnam. This goes down. And... What do we learn? What what should we have learned from Vietnam? Right, things are much more complicated in places, and very different than than how we view things in the West. Right, and mm-hmm. yet this movie, like you're saying, Christy and John, is that it really simplifies things to a point that it it misses the complexity. It should be talking about this this place as a, a much more robust and interesting and complex place that has tons of nuance you know and yet they strip all that out especially like you're saying by the time we get to the second half of the film when the first half of the film again i I think it really is kind of putting a light and like i was saying you know has a really interesting theme to it you know about the things we don't hear about and why why we might not hear about them and yet by the time we get to that second half of the movie we just it, it it honestly becomes kind of silly instead of where you started, which was a little bit more serious. Mm-hmm. It's actually funny you say silly because uh, McDonald uh, actually said that he had trouble filming some of the stuff because he just thought it was so over the top that they they sort of had trouble taking it seriously. Uh, you know, in, in in terms of that, and I just. A lot of stuff is laid on the fact that, uh, you know, our relations with the Soviet Union were changing and Afghanistan was winding down when this movie came out. I don't think that's the case at all in terms of costing it prestige or esteem. You know, you look at the landscape, First Blood Part Two comes out, and then between then and now, we have Schwarzenegger's rise to power. And I think that very much becomes a taste swinger in terms of what people are looking for in their action movies. And I, I honestly, I think that um, also because you have uh, right around this time, you have Die Hard, mm-hmm. which completely shifts people's perceptions and expectations for action. I honestly think like I look at this movie really as just something that was. forgive me for the (laughs) forgive me for the example but it's like the last hair metal hair metal bands to get uh reasonable hits before grunge came on Mm -hmm. you listen to them now and like you 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 see them now as that sort of like dying gasp of the old form of the genre and that's sort of where i think rambo 3 finds itself i think that's why it had trouble finding its audience i you know and i uh... I think part of that is is because the first two movies, for the most part, have a much more interesting and serious look at a much more complex character and a much more complex situation. You know, I, you, you think of that, that first movie and how we are truly dealing with the PTSD of this character, the... the um, 
relationship between Vietnam vets and those that they come home to uh, and their reception and all that. You know, the second movie dealing with the uh, mess that we left in uh, Vietnam and, of course, the, the response of, of uh, politicians to that and how that, that it's all just being used for political purposes. And here, you know, we almost start with that. But, but again, by the end, we just end up in a place that I would just say is big, dumb, and loud uh, instead mm-hmm. of anything else. And I, I think, you know, the the mission here is to save Troutman. And one of the things I kind of liked about the movie was the fact that we get to spend more time with him as a character and him and Rambo together. But mm-hmm. they literally turn this into a buddy cop film. Yes. And that's the problem. And I think that might also speak to the idea that they did that as a response to all of Schwarzenegger's movies are defined by one-liners. Like the, I don't think that there's an actual genuine bit of dialogue in a Schwarzenegger movie. And it's one of those things where maybe that's also, you know, maybe Stallone was sensing things and that's why they they reshape it to because those, those those comedy lines really do jump out at you uh, at, at the end because it's just I it I don't know I think it's a bridge too far. I mean, will the I think, real Rambo really please stand stand up? Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, and I I did want to bring up too. I think that you're right on the money, John. With like they missed the mark of using that Russian defector more. Because it does seem, even though I hadn't read the book, that they introduce him in such a way that, oh, they're going to bring him up again later. They're going to use him to take Rambo into the camp and everything because he'll know it best. And then they just kill him off before he goes to the camp. And I'm like, well, then what was the point of him? Right. Right. Yeah. He dies so quickly. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's jarring. It's like, well, he told us the he's plan. He's like one of the so. first people to bite it. Yeah. He told us the plan, so we don't need him anymore. Yeah, basically, and that's <laughs> sort of a disturbing sort of thing. Like may- maybe that uh, maybe the lesson for all three of us is uh, if we ever find ourselves in a situation where we're the only people that know something. No, I'm not telling you anything. Yeah, not, not until I feel like we're at the end of the story. No, <laughs> you gotta get no, me to safety, anything. and then I'll tell you the plan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, you know, I think. <laughs> You really did hit on something that happens with this and in, in, in the mission that we end up on, you know, by the end, it really does become about Rambo trying to say Arnold like lines. And like I remember, you know, I'm, as I was mm-hmm. watching this movie, it was just really jarring because Rambo isn't funny. That's the thing about the character. Like he wasn't a funny character. He's a serious character. He takes things very seriously like um in 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 many ways john i would i would say he's like the dc version of an action hero right he's he's much more serious um and then you end up where he's trying to do the marvel thing like he's trying to make the one-liners like the arnold film and it's like but that's not who you are as a character that's not what made people fans of you in the first place and it is not surprising for me in any way, shape, and form that we do not see Rambo again for a very long time after this movie. So you're saying this is the Justice League of the Rambo it series? Is the Justice League of Rambo. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> fair yeah. Enough. I 
I will agree with you, Matt. I think that they they had a great thing going when they initially started with First Blood because it was such a deep, introspective look at some serious issues and that it was a, a character focus rather than an action movie focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's what kind of got lost along the way in this, that it you know ends up becoming just a mm-hmm. rock'em, sock'em, robot kind of thing yeah. instead of... Mm-hmm an introspective look at what's going on with Rambo personally. Yeah. And I, I, I will also say just, just real quick uh, w- with the way everything uh, breaks out is I'm not, I, I'm not somebody that, that needs to see, you know, certain expectations in terms of characters and stuff like that. But the more that I've thought about it and watching it this time, after having read the novelization, they missed a tremendous opportunity to have a strong female character, which is maybe uh, we didn't have the strongest of female characters in first blood part two, but we at least had a female character. And it almost feels like this movie backslides in a way because if they had had that different perspective, that different personality type in there, I think it winds up saving this movie in a way. But the problem is that I can see why she was cut because of the way that it went. She fits very well in the novelization that still has the chase ending. Um, and I'm simplifying it because I want to encourage people to read it so that they can hmm. go out and catch it. But there is very much a, um, you know, I, just a missed opportunity because there, it wasn't a love interest. So there, there was no is love one interest in the book. story about. No, no, no. In the book, there was she wasn't a love interest. There was no sense of like Rambo and she were going to fall in love. She was just there, and she was providing the perspective of a a doctor who had seen horrors in this situation to sort of drive home again that whole thing that broke Rambo, that the horrors of war sort of thing. And it would have been such a it would have been such a pleasant counterpoint to. I think it's a little too rah rah. Let's go shoot him up, sort of action movie, which again isn't really to your point, Matt. Rambo, the character has been you know the first two movies are decidedly action movies, but there is that twinge of he's such the reluctant hero because he doesn't want to do what he knows has to happen. Whereas this, by the time we get to the second part, it's almost like a Oh, you know what? You were right. I'm a born killer. So let's mm-hmm. go out there and do things. And it's like, eh, that's not him. You know, though, I wondered initially, um, because I did notice the lack of female characters in general in the movie. Um, I wondered if partly that was just because of it being set in Afghanistan, where, um, you know, it's mm. a, a much different culture for women there, that women were being downplayed on purpose in the movie it's possible but i do think that that would have been nice especially since it was in the book (laughs) for it to be in the movie well and i think you know that is something i wanted to talk to you guys about because okay he says that he tried very hard to change rambo's character and make him more vulnerable and more humorous and he fails he says completely totally and what is strange about it is that 
that really does happen from the beginning. Like you said, I think the, the biggest key, John, is when Troutman tells him, you know, that he has to come to the to terms with the fact that he's a soldier and that's who he is. And that does seem to kind of fly in the face of everything that we'd seen previously where the whole point of Rambo was trying to come to terms with his humanity again in spite of all the things that had happened. And this is just a reversion completely to like, and and it makes him, and, and this is what happens is that this is the movie that creates the character of Rambo. Which is is disappointing right. and sad because otherwise, beforehand, the character had had much more depth and nuance. Have you? Okay, <laughs> two of my favorite parodies. Have you guys ever seen UHF starring Weird Al Yankovic? No, but I, I love Weird Al. So, oh, oh, it's a gem. It is a low budget comedy gem. Okay. I highly recommend it. But he has a a Rambo <laughs> parody that is very obviously after Rambo Three. That is just. <laughs> absolutely fantastic but then there's also a parody in um the movie i'm gonna get you sucker uh keenan ivory weigh-ins um which is a really funny send-up of exploitation movies from the 70s where the scene in this where rambo fires the gunpowder to seal you know what would have actually caused kidney failure and death Mm -hmm. but you know that that on it let's be honest that's the point at which any rational person just checks out yeah. and is just like, all right, how much longer do I have left in this <laughs> movie? Um, but in I'm Gonna Get You Sucka, there's this great thing where he gets like a splinter and he has to like put the needle in to get the splinter out and he does the thing. Sorry, I, you know, going down that. But, mm-hmm. you know, to, to the point about the caricature, it's absolutely right. Every movie that made fun of Rambo was referencing this movie in specific. And it's, it's depressing as a result. Yeah. It, it makes me sad because I like what we start with and wanted it to be good. And this was my first viewing of this movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry for both of you. I knew this. See, the thing is, I knew this was coming. So I could sort of just like, all right, let's get it done. (laughs) But it it wasn't all bad. Um, I you know, and part of me too just enjoys a good action movie. Um, you know, like we've all talked about how much I love Predator too. So, um, I think that there's a lot of good things about it. Um, but I definitely do see that turning point. Um, and I I wish too that we had gotten a different look at his and Troutman's relationship because we never mm-hmm. really get a good look at how they formed the bond that they have. And that would have been a good right. thing to show in this movie in some flashbacks or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, um, I, you know, and of course a book can always get inside a character's head even better than a movie can, but the book does really spend a lot of time that, that helps where Rambo is real. Like he is ridden with guilt because he feels like it's his fault that Troutman got captured because Troutman came to him and it plays a little bit differently in the book because uh, even looking at the stick fighting scene, there is, there's a missed opportunity here in the movie because in the stick fighting scene in the book, Rambo starts getting his, you know, his rear handed to him. And it's him seeing Troutman and Troutman having that sort of disapproving father look on his face that snaps him out of it. And he starts wailing on the, you know, and that's why he wins the the match and everything mm-hmm. is because 
And it immediately sets up that Rambo is just, that's the closest thing he has to a dad, really. And to think that he disappointed him really gnaws at him. And so the the fact that Troutman gets captured, Rambo very much wrestles with the idea that it's all his fault. Uh, I think I, if I recall correctly, Troutman even has to say at one point in the book, it's not your fault. You didn't, this isn't, you didn't do this. This just happened. Uh, but you, you really get, you know, a strengthening of that bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would have liked more of that. Yeah. I think that that's definitely a good point. And um, I, I think it's pretty clear, you know, that one of the things that they do is they really do kind of just make this, that, buddy cop film and it, it turns it into something yeah. that it's not part of that too i think john you know you mentioned all these things that are in the novel that just aren't there that you know uh could have been added in obviously that i can't think they've got up made they got made up whole cloth and maybe they maybe they did um because they made the story more full and rich but um it does really seem like this movie's really short too. I mean, it's not a very long film. Mm-hmm. And if they had been adding in some of those type of elements, you know, uh, a longer version of this wouldn't have been bad. Um but instead, you know, we got the kid uh which just felt mm-hmm. like they were copying the Temple of Doom. So maybe we should just call this Rambo and the Soviet Temple of Doom. Um Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no. Wait a minute. That kid was no short round. Well, no, don't, don't he you was dare. not. Don't no. you dare. No, no. That that. Uh, you know, it, it's um. Like I, I just I. There's a part of me that just has an affection for it because it's an '80s movie and it's an action movie, and it's tough to be rough on it for me. Um, because I remember being a kid and being so excited that Rambo three was coming out. Yes. I'd seen first blood part two entirely too young. Sure. I shouldn't have seen that much murder in my life, but I liked it and I was looking forward to Rambo three. <laughs> and even back then as a kid, uh, when I finally did get to see it, I'm sure it was on video when I finally did get to see it. I just remember everybody in the room. It was like, you guys have been to a movie where it's disappointing and you just, the energy just sort of shifts in the room where everybody is just doesn't want to say it. Everybody's just sort of keeping it to themselves, wondering, is it just me mm-hmm. or does everybody feel the same way about this? Or what I, and it's just a shame. What I end up doing a lot that my husband laughs at me for is, um, I figured if I just kept watching, eventually it would get better again. <laughs> no, it's a sinking ship. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I you know, I, I mean, Chrissy, because you, you are a, a big, uh, you know, action fan and everything like that. Is there, what do you think of the action in it? Like, do you think it's successful? Do you think it's a good, do you think these are good set pieces? Or do you think that there's, they could have done better? I thought overall it was pretty good. I think that at the at the end, it's that one scene that really bothers me the most is exactly what you already mentioned, where it's, you know, two guys against an entire army and somehow they figure it out. Um, that just it, we all know that's not how it goes. Um, no, no, but so wrong. otherwise, I mean, I was, you know, I guess my 
suspension of disbelief was so high already. And then, you know, by the time the gun powder into the wound happens. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so it's going to be a little ridiculous. Um, and I, I liked them throwing back in um, a scene of Rambo being, you know, hiding and picking them off one by one, except this time they're in a cave instead of in the swamp or whatever. Um, right. Right. So that was good. Cause that's his forte. Um, and I like the, um, tag about that you know blue light showing up again i thought that was funny that that was good i like the fact that he used it as the distraction and all the other guys shot that one guy it's like uh, you know all right yeah that's fine well or when they um, first introduce it and the guy goes what does it do and he's like it turns blue yeah i <laughs> you know i uh i think that there's a when he's climbing up the mountain um i think that's actually some terrific blue screen mat work uh, when, when he's climbing up. Uh, mm-hmm. But because you mentioned the ending, and I teased this to Matt uh, or earlier through a text message, I am firmly of the belief, I wrote about this on my, my dinkly little blog uh, however long ago, there is a perfect ending to this film. There are a couple of trims you can make to make the ridiculousness a little bit less. The movie winds up running probably about 87 minutes uh, instead of what it runs now. Uh, which I think is like a minute or an hour 42 or something, you know. Um, so you're under 90 minutes. But the perfect ending for this film is at the end, the whole Russian army basically shows up. He and Troutman are there. They've got one gun apiece. Go full on Butch, Butch and Sundance. And, you know, what are we going to do, Johnny? F them. And they just cock their guns, freeze frame. That's the end of the movie. That's perfect. Yes. You just let the audience walk out. Did they live? Did they die? You give some everybody something to talk about. And I think that ending, people would wind up forgiving the 15 minutes that precede it. Mm-hmm. Because you walk out of there saying, "Did do you think they... Like, it, it's that fun conversation coming out. Instead of everybody saying, wait, he got shot in the leg by a 50 caliber and then ran on it and threw a Molotov cocktail in a tank? Yeah, Like, you know, you don't have to know that much about military weaponry to know that the gun he gets shot with in the leg when the tank is pursuing him not only would have made it impossible to walk, his whole leg would have been blown <laughs> off. Like a fifty caliber is technically uh, an anti-equipment gun. You're not you're technically not allowed, quote unquote, under the Geneva Convention to target people with it. You can target machinery with it and equipment. And so it's like, I I just think that ending, that freeze frame of the two buddies going out against impossible odds, that's that's the ending that this movie deserves, that that it needs. Just like Thelma and Louise. That too. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I think that would have been a much stronger ending. I, I think, you know, uh, some of the action in here in the movie is actually really good, especially uh, the cave sequence until, you know, of course he's pulling the <laughs> arrow out. And, anyway, um, you know, all that stuff is great because it is very reminiscent of the first Rambo, um, you know, and then, of course, what he has to do the second Rambo, but it's in a different situation, right? And and so it, it, it gives you the same thing, but different. And it's it's a good action sequence. Uh, and yeah, and things just evolve into silliness by the end where, you know, you didn't have to do that. You could have found a different way to end the movie 
So it's not two guys facing down an entire army. And yes, look, I get that, you know, the Afghans show up and and everything, but still it doesn't make it feel any more possible, right? You know, everything that we had seen in the Rambo movies previously was possible. Um be, mainly too because like even in the first movie where he jumps off and he lands in the tree and everything you know <laughs> that's Stallone doing that he had the the broken ribs and and you know everything to show for right. it so um this just takes it to a level where it doesn't make sense anymore and it's not in a way to where you know like I know people don't like Die Hard 4 but you know when he shoots you know they do not he shoots the car off into the the uh, helicopter, you know, like I, it's die hard and I don't, I'm not upset at that. Whereas here I'm like, this just doesn't work for what I've had previously. So don't bait me into a discussion about the die hard movies. Okay. okay? And the diminishing <laughs> returns of that series. Although three is the best sequel of them, but whatever. So, yeah, yeah I mean, in the end, I guess, you know, it's a it's a short movie and it's kind of a short episode because unfortunately there's not a lot of depth to this film. Um, we talked about whatever depth yeah. there was, so I am really interested for both of you, kind of where you fall down, ratings wise with Rambo three. John, do you want to go first? I'll go first. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it breaks my heart, and I know that it will fluctuate over time, just because. This is not the last time I will watch this movie because this definitely falls into the category of one of those movies where you watch it again and again in the hope, the hope that maybe your mood is just going to be a little bit different and it's going to be better this time. Mm -hmm. You're just hoping against hope. You know it's not going to be. And my opinion of this movie has just gradually, like it's just, it's this perfect little curve downward over the years in terms of where I, I regard it. And I'm going to have to say right now, after this most recent viewing, it actually fell a little bit down to two stars. So, Ooh. Christy, you go first. You you go next. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry that it fell for you. Um, I, I will say I don't think that it's the best action movie I've ever seen or anything like that. But I think that it has some things that for me were redeeming for it. Um, I do think it would have been better if like we said, you know, we had gotten a female doctor from the book in the movie, um, gotten more of the Russian defector character, or maybe some scenes of Troutman and um, Rambo in the past to kind of tighten that bond that we feel. Um, But I like that they explore some things about Afghanistan and the culture and the, the, the nuance and comparing it to Vietnam um, with Troutman's statements. Um, and I like that they show, in my opinion, that there are people that are also in war or just caught in the middle. They just live there. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not on either side and it, they're just people trying to live their life. And then they get caught up in this and are getting shot to death. And it it's horrible. And so I think that that yeah. is something that this movie has to say again, that Stallone wants to show people is that there's these things of war that civilians don't always see. Um, and yeah. so Matt, I'm glad you brought that up too, that, you know, like the media can hide a lot of things. Um, so I still think it, it's got some merit, although, you know, uh, out of grand scheme, not being the greatest movie ever. So I give it 
a three out of five stars. Um, nice. I'll rate it three out of five awesome hiking knives. However you would call that <laughs> knife he's got that he's checking for the mines with. It looks like a cool that knife. That knife is pretty, that's pretty, pretty righteous. Uh, that, that knife is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it is interesting because there, there really is a fascinating movie in there somewhere. And especially thematically, if we're going to talk about, you know, the fact that things get hidden from people because others have an interest in it getting co- covered up, either politically or otherwise. And, and to me, that's a really relevant theme even to today. And yet this movie doesn't really want to play with any relevant themes like they wanted to do previously in the other two movies. It, it wants to be, I think, more of the action films that we were starting to get at that point in the 80s where Arnold was really taking over uh, and was influencing everything, unfortunately, uh, it, for a mon- in a more unfortunate uh, progression. You know, we, we weren't. We weren't creating more art here. We were just starting to create popcorn. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, this movie, I think, is a two and a half out of five stars. It's like half a good movie uh, because the first half of the movie has some real promise to it. And the second half of the movie just wastes all that promise. And uh, so it's unfortunate, but I'll be interested because the one Rambo movie I had seen before all this was Rambo. And I'm not going to tell you what I thought of it. But I had seen it, so okay. I'm fascinated. That to go is back a hell of a one. It's a hell of a one to come into the series on. Um, but I, I do, I do think also that this franchise, at the very least, definitely wins the award for most confusing naming structure in yes. history because you have First Blood, Rambo, First Blood Part Two, Rambo Three, Rambo. What is happening? Like what? Yeah, it's like they purposely just want to screw with you, yeah. and they can't stick to a naming convention. Mm-hmm. It's very true. I agree. So, uh, time for some recommendations, uh, and so Christy, so we can give John an opportunity to think of what he wants to recommend to everybody. Uh, <laughs> That's hurtful, man. Come on. <laughs> but what would I you have like to, do to recommend everybody? <laughs> So I've got an oldie but a goodie, a favorite of mine um, that I found on HBO Max, actually. I don't know if you both have seen a 1992 film called Death Becomes Her. Oh, of course. Yes. Robert Zemeckis, Mm -hmm. uh, Bruce Willis, Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A trio that, you know, uh, until then, I did not think would work together because they seem to be all alphas working together in a movie. But it's just such a funny, dark comedy. And if you know me, with all the crap I've been through in my life, dark humor is just my thing. And so it's so funny because this was another movie that I saw probably way too young. And I was one Mm. of those kids that just that thing cracked me up rather than disturbed me. I don't know why. But I've always mm-hmm. loved that movie, and I was probably five when I saw it. <laughs> that no, that's a that's a great pull. It also has one of the best Jim Morrison references of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that is uh, that's a great recommendation. Well, thank that's you. awesome. Well, I've yeah, never so seen anyway, it, so now I know why I should watch. Yes, uh, it, Matt. It is about whether eternal life is worth it. <laughs> well, good to know. Good to know. I, or I eternal so. youth, I guess I ah, should say. Ah. Well, yes. I mean, I already have that. So, John, what do you want to recommend to everybody? 
Uh, you know, I mean, the thing is, I feel obliged to recommend the novelization for Rambo Three. I think it's ab- I I gave it five stars. It was I read it when I was at the beach. I couldn't put it down. Yeah, like seriously, just like the novelization for Rambo First Blood Part Two. But so that I'm not uh, falling by the wayside here, I did recently watch a. Uh, it, it's an old TV movie that was resurrected by uh, this this thing called creature features that that airs out of california but it's on youtube uh called horror at thirty-seven thousand feet and it has uh william shatner buddy ebsen chuck connors uh the professor from uh gilligan's island uh and a couple other people where you go oh that guy and um yeah i highly recommend going out and seeking out the horror at thirty-seven thousand feet because if you really want to gain an appreciation for how television has truly become an art form in the modern day, watch this thing because boy howdy, it is it is something to behold. So go torture yourself with horror at thirty seven thousand feet. Wow. Oh yes. man. Uh well I can't really uh follow that up with anything super exciting, but uh, <laughs> I finally saw um friend of the show Tristan Riddell one of his favorite films Gattaca uh and ah, um it was really interesting uh and so I'm I'm recommending you go seek it out maybe you've never seen it but I I found it uh to be a really interesting movie with some very um I, just fascinating themes um and it's an interesting world setup um I you know I I think for me, the movie's about a three and a half out of five stars, but the the thematic Bless elements me. are so interesting that I would I might revisit it again just because of that. And so I, I totally think that uh, it's a movie that that everybody should see at least once. It just it there's just so much going on in there, and honestly, it's one of those movies where when it was over, I was kind of wishing that it'd been longer, just because I I wanted more depth to the whole thing i just wanted uh to, to really get to explore more uh so yeah very very interesting film so check that out but uh john uh you know if anybody wants to catch up with you see what else you've got going on here these days where can people find you nobody wants to find me online as castle junkie k-e-s-s-e-l-j-u-n-k-i-e you can find me over on letterboxd uh, reviewing terrible william shatner tv movies uh, you can find me on your social network of choice usually as well. Um, I try to keep it funny and light, and that's probably going to become thought crime before too long. But you can also find me all over on the Nerd Party, co-hosting a show called House Lights, where we look at the work of directors, uh, you know, their entire career. We, uh, we're wrapping up, as, as I'm speaking, we're getting ready to wrap up uh, Wes Anderson, and we're going to be moving on to James Cameron. Uh, and then you can find me over on the Nerd Party co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast with you, Matt, and also uh, appearing over here, uh, besides spending time with my friends Matt and Christy, also appearing on uh, the 602 Club Presents Snyder Cuts, where we looked at the work of Zack Snyder. Nice. Yeah, I, I need to check out House Lights because I do want to hear more about that kind of thing. So I think that's cool, interesting. Cool, cool. Um, and that you can find me, of course, on Twitter and Instagram at Bespin Bell. And I appear sometimes, too, in the Babel Conference on Facebook. And when I'm not here on 602 Club, I do also do a show called Sabres and Spells with my friends Amanda DeFonso and Teresa Delgado. And we are in the midst of covering Falcon and the Winter Soldier in a two-part 
show. So uh, we just did the first half, um, which will be released this week. And then uh, we're going to do another one at the end to see if we were right about our speculations and our thoughts. So I hope everyone Mm -hmm. will check that out at Sabres and Spells on Instagram and Twitter also. And I recently did some voice work for a friend of mine, uh, a show called Geek Stuff TNG. Um, I did a uh, recording for them, um, joking about some things on their uh, 15th anniversary episode, number 629, and uh, may also do some other stuff in the future. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Which, man, make sure if you're listening to that, you got a cold glass of water (laughs) because Christy brings it. Uh, but, uh, you can find me all over the place. Um, Matt rushing zero two, just look for me on any of the social media platforms. You know, I wanted to plug what we've got coming up in the next couple of weeks because John keeps talking himself into these series with us. And yeah, I need to learn to keep my mouth. And shut. I know you really should brother. Uh, I feel bad I for really you, do. but I know you're very excited. Uh, because uh, when we've talked about it behind the scenes, you're pretty giddy that we're going to be covering all the Batman films that we've never covered before, starting with Batman 66 all the way to Batman and Robin. So we have some great stuff coming up for you. So the next two weeks, we're diving into that series. So you guys are going to want to be here for those episodes. Um, So it's going to be a lot of fun as we dive into that. And of course, uh, we'll be wrapping up Rambo with John as well here uh, throughout the summer. Um, but uh, you can also find me here on the network, uh, not only doing 602 Club and Snyder Cuts, but I'm also doing The Orb as well as Larry Trex. The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and Larry Trex is the books and the comics of Star Trek, so you can check those out. And then wrapping up Owl Post with Drea Kaufman over on the Nerd Party Network, uh, we legitimately only have one episode left by the time this episode drops, and that show will be done. We will have talked through every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. The great part about the show, though, if if you've listened, uh, if you read the series, perfect time to listen to the the, the series. Uh, if you've maybe you've never read the series, it's the perfect time to start with us. So it's an evergreen show. You can listen to it as many times as you want. So I hope you'll check it out. But thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. And I'm your worst nightmare. (laughs) 